a special edition of our show, Herstory on the Rocks, with Katie and Allie. Normally, it would just be Allie and I hanging out, talking about famous women in history, but sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about history or, you know, fictional or real. <laughs> All the time. We have a very special guest here with us today, Diane Helen Jarris. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Diane is an author and a photographer and is here to talk about her book, The Indenture of Ivy O'Neill. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I started out as a humanities major. Actually, I started out in fine art, but ended up in med school. And so I spent the middle years of my career as a practicing physician and a public health administrator. And now I've gone back to my humanities roots and I write and I've always done photography. So I like the arts, uh, but I appreciate the sciences as well. That's cool. And it said too on your website that you're an illustrator. Is that with the photography or do you hand draw things as well? That's with the photography. Cool. Yeah, I illustrate articles I write. Ah, that's so interesting. How did you get to writing from um, humanities and med school? Well, humanities, you know, is, is really heavy into reading. Mm. And it's heavy into writing. You know, that's really all you do. You read a lot of books. And uh, I know when I was applying for medical school, I had an interview with one woman physician. And she said, well, we know you can read, (laughs) which is true. So so I always wrote. And I um, as I my career in medicine moved forward, you know, I did clinical, but then I went into administration. And when you're in administration, I worked for the state health department here in Virginia. Mm. Uh, It's writing is like the coin of the realm. You know, that is where you have to be able to um, express yourself and and work together. And it's kind of nice because uh, the kind of writing you do when you're in government, you're used to having a lot of editors and you don't feel a lot of ownership with what you personally do, which I think is a good thing because, Mm. you know, sometimes writers... Uh, hesitate to uh, get their work edited. Mm-hmm. They they want to keep it all their own, and they think there's a, a cost to that. So, um, as an administrator, I wrote a lot, mm-hmm. and I've always liked history, you know. And when I retired, I took early retirement. I had some stories that I was very interested in, and uh, Ivy O'Neill is based on one of those stories that there really just wasn't enough to do a history. You know, when you're talking about women in the 1600s, you just can't scratch up enough actual stuff Mm -hmm. to make a coherent story. Right. Mm. Well, I think that is a perfect way to segue into the cocktail we made for Ivy O'Neill and your book. (laughs) Um, So this is obviously called The Indenture of Ivy O'Neill. And obviously, since the beginning of this story at least takes place in Ireland. We had a Guinness beer and elderflower liqueur and a little bit of fireball. So some cinnamon whiskey just to <laughs> get wow. <in> kick. <laughs> so cheers, cheers to your books. Great. That sounds good. Mm. It is. It's really good. It's like a Guinness with a kick. I love yeah, it. Yeah, but the elderflower kind of softens it, yeah, which is nice. Yeah, it out. <laughs> so... We want to start by setting the scene for your book. You already alluded to the fact that it's in the 1600s, um, and it kind of starts in Ireland with the invasion of the British, and then we end up in the colonial America. Can you tell us a little bit about this setting? 
Uh, you mean how I chose it or, or what was going on back then? Yeah, I both, a little bit of both. Well, um, the story's actually inspired by true events, you know, uh, which I was really happy to find. And in Ireland at that time, you know, there, there was um, uh, a lot of uh, trauma as far as like the Catholics versus the Protestants. And, and basically, a uh, British war was being fought on Irish soil. Uh, there was also at the same time in the colonies in Maryland and the others, uh, a lack of labor. You know, uh, they really had a strong need for people to work the fields. And so they went to indenture uh, folks. And that meant that uh, someone would owe four years or seven years of their life, their labor, in the hopes that they would, at the end, uh, have paid off their debt. And usually the person who uh, they worked for was supposed to give them a little land and a little um, clothing and maybe some tools or a sheep or something like that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, apparently only about half the people survived their indenture. Mm -hmm. And often they, they really didn't get what they were supposed to get. Mm -hmm. So um, I thought it was interesting. I don't think um, we typically uh, know how much indenture was prevalent at the time you know when when you start researching the scholars say 50 to 75 percent of the people who were over here were indentured which is a huge number mm. but of course um they were white and once they fulfilled their indenture then nobody needed to know you know what your background was and i think people just wanted to move on and forget about it yeah. so um it was very prevalent but it's not really uh, thought about much nowadays. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about our main character, Ivy? How old is she? What is she kind of going through? You know, what's going on in her life during the time period of this book? Well, well, she was as a child exposed to the war mm -hmm. uh, and suffered uh, and was displaced from her home and had to move along to another um, place which was on a, a peninsula where because it was on a peninsula and, and this is true even today that area of ring it's called in Ireland you know near county Waterford uh has a is one of the places where Gaelic is still spoken you know uh because they were just left alone so she's there her family is um, a fisherman's family but they're in uh, pretty dire straits. Uh, and then uh, she ends up, and, and I, I don't think I'll spoil the book by saying this, being kidnapped. Uh, and she wasn't the only one uh, and taken to the colonies and sold. Uh, she's, uh, she also has a, a physical uh anomaly she has like one blue eye and one green eye and so sometimes that sets people off and and I do want to say um a, a lot of this the story came from uh some research I did in my own family and uh some oral history that has been recorded uh, about a forebear and that woman was kidnapped uh off the coast of Ireland and brought to Maryland and sold uh, to a man that uh, I don't know if I want to say uh, her relation that she has a relationship with eventually. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it seems that Ivy um, is a is a pretty strong character she is or at least she's dealing with things right that require strength she's mm-hmm. being kidnapped she's dealing with irish prejudice she's dealing with catholic v protestant prejudice you know um i believe at one point in the book she's accused of murder like how um how was it to write a young like empowered woman like this who had her rights taken away or her freedom well you know, um, I've had the privilege of meeting women who've uh, gone through tough times, you know, and I, I really tried not to sugarcoat it as far as some of the damage that was done to her by her early experiences. And if you read it carefully, you'll see that she dissociates at times when she has great stress, you know, uh, where she's trapped. The only thing she can do is just mentally leave. You know, so she develops her strength over time. It's not that uh, she comes full force, you know, Uh, she has to go through some things to get there and she gets there with some help. Um, A lot of the book is about learning how not to generalize, you know, Uh, you know, as an adolescent, I think, or um, as a young woman, sometimes it's easy to put people in boxes and, and all the British are bad. Well, but maybe once you experience living in Maryland, you, you can't have everybody be bad. You know, there's some good people there and then that ambivalence. So um, she was tough. The real person I think uh, that I based the story on was tough because you can see through her uh, descendants, they, they tended to have leadership capabilities and they tended to maintain the Catholic faith even when it was underground in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, it's funny because so we're based in Baltimore, Maryland. So we were pretty excited that Maryland was so <laughs> yeah <laughs> featured in yeah. the book because uh, not many books are. <laughs> I was kind of hoping it was because, you know, maybe you just love Maryland. Uh, but... <laughs> I do love Maryland. Good. <laughs> I live in Virginia, but I love Maryland. Perfect. Good. <laughs> but I was thinking about how this is a true story. And obviously the real person really did go to Maryland in the, you know, 1600s. Yes. So what mm-hmm. was the area like during that time? Was it different? in other parts of the colonies are basically the same it was different you know uh and and that was interesting because i've lived in virginia for 30 years and so i'm i'm pretty uh steeped in virginia colonial history you mm-hmm. can't escape williamsburg mm-hmm. and of course with dc right here everybody and thomas jefferson and washington and we all know about virginia colonial history mm-hmm. and so it was fascinating to see what it was like in maryland you know which it's different. There's similarities, but it's different. The geography's different. You've got the Chesapeake, so you've got different occupations. They did have tobacco farming, but they had um different political system. And so that colors what the colony was like, you know? I, and it was also fascinating to, um, you know, we hear that Maryland was founded by Catholics and it was a great place and there was all this freedom for Catholicism. But that wasn't really true. That was short lived. Hmm. You know, um, Calvert uh, kind of packed his leadership with Catholics, made other people nervous, and then um, they kind of lowered the boom on the Catholics and it was driven underground for um, decades and you couldn't practice Catholicism in the open. You 
the official church was the um, Anglican church. And so um, you would find people who were Catholics having uh, like a priest hole in their house, practicing in secret, um, maybe having like the real honor of Lynn had a Catholic wedding. And I believe she had a Protestant wedding as well. And the Catholic wedding was underground. You know, you would sneak away to Port Tobacco, get married by a priest, and then have an Anglican wedding. People would baptize their children twice, you know. Uh, they'd have the official Anglican baptism, and they'd have a Catholic baptism, too. So um, that was different from Virginia, because, you know, that the, um, the religious aspect of, of the colonial government and of course it's different from new england you know yeah yeah well catholicism sure did hang on with its balls yes <laughs> it is still heavy like yeah. the, the archdiocese if i mean if you know 10 people in maryland four of them went to one of the schools that is that are catholic, that yeah. Are catholic. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so you know um it, it's just interesting and, and so the the real the person that i based this on um, her progeny, uh, one became a circuit, like a, he rode Western Kentucky. He was a priest and he traveled around Western Kentucky early and was the first priest there. And somebody else was up at Dickinson and somebody was the chaplain at the U.S. Congress. So, you know, they, they were very um, religious. And so I attribute that to this initial person's strong attachment to their religion, hmm. you know. So, so that was an interesting part. Go ahead. Oh, uh, what was her name again? The person you based this off of? Oh, um, her real name is probably Mary Honora O'Flynn. Okay. So she's known as Honor O'Flynn, mm -hmm. and she married a man named William Logston, and he was English, and he w had come over as an indentured child. Mm -hmm. You know, he was probably eleven when he came over. Yeah, so this is a piece uh, I think that you wrote about of American history that oftentimes gets kind of breezed over, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the 1600 colony style history. So when people read this book, what do you want them to walk away with? What do you want them to learn? How do you want them to feel? Well, there's a couple things. One thing is that um, you can't assume when you have an advocacy or a political victory that those rights are guaranteed. Yeah. So that comes up in a couple different ways. You know, you have the religious freedom that was on the books for Maryland that went away, you know, and then came back. So you can't assume you've ever made your victory forever. The other way it came up was I was fascinated. Um, I found uh, some research on someone who had studied women and criminal law from around 1660 to 1720 in Maryland, okay? Mm -hmm. And it was true, women could go to court and serve as um, the lawyer. Mm -hmm. And women did participate in the court system in a limited way. So um, they would have women's courts for issues that had to deal with women's issues. So they would have a a group of women, usually with the midwife, if let's say someone was accused of infanticide or abortion or something like that. So they'd have these women's courts, but they also would have women represent people. And that went away. Mm -hmm. So you can't assume that things are going to stay. You know, you have to continue 
decide what your um, uh, choices are or what you want to be uh, the situation and then keep track. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned that there's a, you love to read, and <laughs> it sounds yeah. like there was a lot of research and reading to be done for this book. So mm -hmm. are they mainly history books, or did you get to get into some kind of primary sources that drew you back to this woman, Mary, or Honor? Um, well, the way this whole thing started, it was 30 years ago. I moved to Virginia, and my brother, I'm from Ohio, he said, oh, you're in Virginia, and you're right across the river from Maryland, and, and he was interested in genealogy, and, and I needed to find out our, I think it was our uh, fourth great-grandfather's dad's name, and, I'm, and he was from Frederick County, and I'm like, yay, I had no idea, so I went to the library in Frederick, and they had a room that said genealogy, and I thought, that's good, you know, and found a book, and um, so back 20, 30 years ago, there was no ancestry, there was no DNA studies, you were hot-footing it to the archives in Annapolis and in D.C. and up to these little funky museums north of Cumberland, you know, just really and looking through the books and they weren't indexed and that was, um, so I did a lot of that. So I had this background on um, what things were like. I also, so I guess that was pretty primary, you know, when you're looking through the tax records, trying to figure out who Edward Durbin's dad was, and you're on the second floor in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania, <laughs> in a room, you know, yeah, so yeah, I did do some primary stuff. I also um, have, have a lot of um, gratitude towards academics, people who publish their research and now, of course, it's online, it's digitized. That is wonderful, mm -hmm. you know. Um, women's history is, of course, marginalized history. So you have to look at the margins. So uh, some of this stuff, the initial uh, realization of this woman's story, Honor O'Flynn, uh, came with some 1950s mimeographed uh, mm -hmm oral history that somebody had finally copied down. And I don't remember where I found it. It could have been in Baltimore at the library, you know, in one of the boxes that they'd get out or, and, and then later on it comes up online. Is that kind of, you know, what you were looking for? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's like a grab bag, you know, yeah. <laughs> some of this stuff is real easy. Some of it you do from your, you know, your mm -hmm. office at home. And then other stuff, you're in the dust, you know? And Yeah, well, that's what I love, because I also was going to ask, you know, if it took you anywhere. And obviously, it took you all over Maryland and Pennsylvania and Virginia. So that's <laughs> very cool. Yes, yes, it did. Yes, mm -hmm. it did. And I, and I have to say, um, uh, uh, one of the, the best was uh, north of Edward Durbin, the guy that I was looking up. He ended up in Waynesburg, you know, uh, Pennsylvania. And, and I was north of Cumberland. At a, looking for this little museum and I end up in my Honda. It was summer. The, the windows are down and I'm driving on this grassed over track, you know, and I'm like, I don't know if this is right or not. And I see an old lady and she had a little hand axe in her hand, you know, 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, excuse me, is this the way to the whatever museum it was, which was somebody's old cabin? Mm-hmm. And she opens the door and gets in the car with her oh. little hand axe. <laughs> Maybe I should lock the doors. You know? yeah. <laughs> so you have these adventures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, obviously you survived the incident. So <laughs> I, she I did. She was harmless. She took me right there and it was great. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that, so I have middle school aged daughters and I, I just love that this book and Ivy's experience is not at all sugarcoated. And I think it's just a great way to, to put to all people, but especially young girls that like you are just as much a part of Irish history and colonial history as everybody else who started this country. So it's really, really cool story. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I had, um, I had fun working on it. Good. All right. So I guess, can you tell us, Diane, where people can find you, where they can find your photography, where they can find this book so they can purchase it? Cause it's out. It was out as of June, right? Yes. June. Perfect. Well, the book's really available widely. Um, as you might've seen, my publisher is Australian. Mm-hmm. So um, it's available internationally at all the places that you find books. Independent bookstores carry it, and then the big names, you know, and um, big box stores have it. So so it's easy to find. You can find me. My name, uh, I'm the only Diane Helen Jarris. So <laughs> all you have to do is if you can spell my name or anything close, you can Google me. And my uh, website is dianehelenjarris.com. Uh, my photography, uh, I do have a photography site, and it's dianehelenjars.zenfolio.com. Okay. Uh, if you like to look at uh, photos. So, um, and I'm happy to have people contact me, email me, you know, through my website and uh, collaborate. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. If I ever have any uh, genealogy questions, I'm going to come to you. Listen, <laughs> I saw on your website that you're for hire as a ghostwriter. So if anybody <laughs> is trying to get their life story out there, oh, your lady. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. This was a blast. And um, thank you again for coming. Oh, well, thank you for asking me. Appreciate it. Uh, it was a joy to meet you. And we'll nice be- to meet you.